created live on Fireside. The following program was recorded live on Fireside Chat. If you'd like to participate in these chats, join us every Thursday at noon Eastern Time at firesidechat.com slash scottmonte. Have you ever admired a leader and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? How he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? John Adams said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Together, we'll explore key principles, not only in the sense of the fundamentals, but also in the ethical sense. The habits, character traits, and virtues that form the backbone of leadership. Principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century. This is Timeless Leadership. Hello and welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we explore principles and virtues that accompany successful and admirable leaders. I'm Scott Monty. If you haven't yet subscribed to the Timeless and Timely newsletter, which is kind of a companion piece to this, please uh, do so at scottmonty.com. I write about all sorts of topics related to leadership and communication, and you can get that there on a regular weekly basis. And we also broadcast this show as a produced podcast. And if you haven't yet given us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate you doing so. Just search for Timeless Leadership and uh, give us a rating. It helps other people find the show as well. This week, we're exploring humor. Now, when we're looking for leaders in our lives, people we want to look up to, we don't naturally say to ourselves, hey, find me a funny person. Well, maybe because we don't recognize the extreme power of humor in our lives. For years, Reader's Digest had a, a joke section called Laughter is the Best Medicine. And while that title is kind of an aphorism, it does ring true. When we share something that makes us laugh, it lightens our mood. It lightens our heart. But there's more to humor than being quote-unquote, being funny, you know. Sharing humor doesn't mean just cracking jokes. You know, many times it can mean simply finding the levity or absurdity in situations in which we find ourselves. We admire people who are able to take in information and be discerning. We talked about this uh, last week in our discussion with Tom Morris on wisdom. And at the same time, we love being around people who are able to take the terrifying, perhaps the nonsensical, and make it something we can laugh at. Even when the scenario seems to call for the utmost seriousness. Now, here's an interesting statistic. A study of the U.S. Supreme Court oral transcriptions from 2004 to 2005 tabulated every instance that the court reporter described a justice's remarks provoking laughter. 
and they found that Antonin Scalia had caused 27 such episodes. Clarence Thomas? Zero. Well, what is it about humor that binds us together, and why do we admire leaders who show a sense of humor? And more importantly, how can we bring more of it into the workplace? Well, that's where our guest comes in. Storytelling and creative strategy are in the DNA of Kathy Clote's guest. When she was eight years old, her first oral presentation was about Harold Lloyd, Hollywood's premier comic stuntman of the silent film era. She even mimed with creative storytelling and humor nerd superpowers that were visible from space as a kid. She had to go on to a career that brought those into focus. Kathy ran teams in tech for 15 years, helping launch products, putting companies on the map, and making millions in sales. She worked in three startups and also did stand-up comedy and improvisation on the side for 20 years. When she wasn't performing, Kathy brought some of those lessons back onto the business stage and through her speaking and consulting business at keepingithuman.com she advises people in a variety of industries on being happier more creative humans kathy earned an mba and ma at stanford university and uc berkeley kathy welcome to timeless leadership Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm listening to your voice, and I feel like you should go through your whole day, Scott, like using that voice. Well, <laughs> like, like I want to see you order Starbucks in that voice. Because it's, so, <laughs> it's so calming. I'm like, ah, that is, I like it is what I'm saying. Thank, Thank you. you. That's very kind of you. Now, I have other voices <laughs> I could use if I really wanted to get zany, but this this is this is me. So That is you. So, no, it is you. It, it's awesome. Tell me about Harold Lloyd. Yeah. So it, it's funny because I went to a Catholic school. Um, I know this probably will resonate for a lot of people out there. So Catholic school, nuns, that's back before they had like really lay teachers, you know. And we had to do a presentation on somebody that we admired. And I chose being the nerd I was, Harold Lloyd, right? <laughs> of course, what eight-year-old on the yeah. planet? You know what? Because <laughs> nothing screams like eight-year-old energy than a, you know, a silent film era, you know, stuntman. So, but I loved um, this comedy because my dad loved comedy. And it was something that I was just riveted by. I was riveted that I could watch Harold Lloyd. And even though, you know, there was, it was silent, it was just music, the, you knew exactly what he thought and what was coming. And you saw the humor because the physicality was so present and so wonderful. And I just, to me, it was, it, it was this energy that I was like, what is this? I don't know what it is. I don't have words for it. My eight-year-old brain can't really comprehend the words, but I understand this human language. I get this. And it was something like so magical to me. So here I am miming and like all the kids are just like, what is she doing? But what I find, yeah, what exactly is going on? Is she hurt? Is she hurt? Um, but what's so 
fascinating to me is that even my eight-year-old brain, without having a language for it, Scott, I understood the power of it because when I started asking, you know, kind of signaling to them, they started shouting out naturally suggestions and they felt part of the story. And there's something so primal and human about that, that it didn't really need words for people to understand the silliness of, you know, acting out the box, being in a box, flowers, proposing, you know, whatever, whatever the thing was, people understood and and I didn't even have a language for it, but I knew it was bigger than that. It was sort of my love language, I think. Mm. Well, that's fascinating, Kathy, because really what you've described there, and and I like the fact that you you, you started with mime because that <laughs> it it transcends <laughs> all languages. It transcends time. I mean, this is the way, likely, uh, that when when humans first kind of uh, evolved, that we spoke well, not spoke, but but communicated with each other. It's it's the basis of who we are. Yeah, it's really this primal storytelling. And I think the beauty to me about all comedy and all humor is if we're really, if we really think about it, it is an elevated storytelling form. Mm. And it's a beautiful one. Yeah. Well, storytelling is essential to all kinds of uh, leadership. But let me, let me kind of uh, cut to the chase here because I know there are, uh, there are people that we've witnessed out there who don't seem to have a sense of humor. Is it is it possible to go through life not having a sense of humor? You know, I it's interesting. I meet people that are humor challenged, like don't understand irony or sarcasm. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I think everybody is wired for it because we're wired for laughter. And yet, I think there are people who never really develop it. They never invest in it. So, and then there are people who their sense of humor is very what we call self enhancing and very, it's sort of self indulgent versus affiliative, what we call affiliative, which is connecting other people. Interesting. So, we, we, we could name names, but we won't. Yeah. But you've seen a few leaders out there, quote unquote, and I use it in quotes, uh, leaders that. You know, the first thing they do is try to silence pundits and comedians who poke fun at them. And I think, you know, you you know, show me a leader without a sense of humor and I'll show you a dictator. Mm, wow. That's fascinating. So so the, I think you, you draw a really interesting um, kind of bifurcation there that the, mm. the, the ego driven humor versus the uh, the, the collective communal uh, type humor. And I, I want to explore those with you. Um, it's. I think it's easy when you're in a meeting or in a in a social situation or a business situation uh, to to make an observation and and do a quick uh, witticism or crack a quip or something like that and to do it where someone else is the butt of the joke, right? Someone perhaps misspeaks, maybe they have a typo on their presentation up on the screen uh, or does something, and and when you call it out or make them the butt of the joke, that's very ego-driven, isn't it? I agree. I definitely agree. I, I think, you know, great humor, great humor comes from this uh, connectedness and something that is universal that we can all laugh at. And that's, if we're making somebody else the butt of a joke, we are missing the point of humor. I think we're really, we can make fun of universal situations. Mm. 
Um, the only exception, of course, is punching up, which is what satire does. Satire right. is the comedy of outrage, and it holds people accountable for using power. And mm. But it's always an exercise in punching up the food chain, not down. And I, I think you're 100% right. If we're resorting to... Uh, you know, to to people without power as the butt of the jokes, we are missing, I think, the connectedness and the affiliative nature that of humor and how it brings people together. Yeah. Well, Kathy, you want to talk about uh, punching up? I'll do I'll do some self punching here because I think self <laughs> self deprecation is is probably it's a sign of vulnerability. It's a sign that a leader is is willing to indulge what others see that is ridiculous about them or, or perhaps worthy of, of pointing out. Um, and, and to give you just an example of this kind of self deprecating humor, uh, I just realized that here in the Fireside Chat app where we're recording this. Um, I mislabeled my own show. Uh, um, (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Yeah, I've got timeless wisdom instead of timeless leadership. Uh, Now, not that I don't think there's great wisdom involved in this conversation, but um, how ridiculous is it that I can't even name my own show? That's awesome. Yeah. So, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, the audience reactions. That's great. This is one of the things I love about Fireside Chat is it actually allows you to get this uh, reaction from your audience. And I love people laughing along with, you know, I, yeah. uh, I, I think it was Robin Williams who was a master of improv. And we're going to talk about improv in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, I saw him on a talk show and, and uh, he, he was making this remark. Uh, no, we're not laughing at you. We're laughing near you. <laughs> and I just thought... <laughs> That's, that's the great, cause you've always said we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you. And, and right. he kind of took it to another level of the absurd. Right. So, um, but be- before we get off this ego driven versus self deprecating, uh, side, uh, one of the things we talked about when I was at Ford, uh, one of the values that we had was to enjoy the journey and have fun, but never at others expense. And that was just so transformative for me to, to actually see that expressed in writing and in practice every day that we weren't there to, as I said before, make other people the butt of the joke. If anything, uh, it encouraged, you know, observing the situation versus calling a person out, right? So can you, can you talk a little bit about how we use humor to um, take a situation that might be serious, that might be deadly serious in some cases and, and use it to kind of propel ourselves forward together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and you nailed it. And I love that. I love, love, love. Cause I remember when you were at Ford, I remember. And, um, you know, I always loved that Ford had these big values. I think it, first of all, I think it takes big values to say, Hey, we can have fun here. We can poke fun at ourselves. We can take what we do seriously, but we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. And that actually is a big value. And I think it is such a sign of leadership and wisdom. So you didn't, there's no misnomer in the name, Scott. It's wisdom. And it's wisdom. <laughs> Humor is wisdom and it's timeless wisdom. And and I, I think that's 100% true. Now, having said that, it, I think a, if you're adroit at humor and I think the, the most adept sort of grounded 
um, nuanced in humility leaders, driven leaders, recognize the universality of certain human situations. Look, the pandemic happened. We can't argue with it. It is what it is. And it's painful. And I think when it first happened, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, we can't use humor. Um, yes and no. There are certain things that you, you just don't laugh at. Uh, you know, people dying, not funny. But all the things that happen in a pandemic, the human things that we have to do to survive are, and they are up for grabs. And, and for example, I mean, we're all working at home trying to make it work. I mean, listen, I mean, I got, you know, kids trying to do school here. My husband, like there are traffic jams in the kitchen, like every, every day, like it is like bumper to bumper traffic, get the hell out of my way. I need my coffee. I mean, there's craziness. There's, you know, half of us aren't even, you know, wearing real pants or jeans we're wearing god knows what we're wearing right like do i have my act together no you only see the top of the iceberg the the top of the iceberg looks put together it is a hot mess from the waist down you don't know and i think there are certain things that are so universal that we're all having to manage that if you lean into those things and laugh everybody recognizes exactly what you mean because we're all feeling it And that's the beauty of using humor in that way to call out the truth of how everybody feels. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. It really is. It's about creating a sense of community about about, you know, a, a social construct. It, it's bringing us closer together. Yeah, it's a human experience. We're yeah. all having a common. We might be affected differently by this pandemic, for sure. I, you know, we've seen the, we've seen the the real um, nuances and and not so nuanced issues around a lack of equality and, and things like that. But if we we're all having a human moment, though, yeah. and that is something I think to celebrate and elevate. And humor is the perfect, I think, way to do that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, and and your your remark about pants again, so. <laughs> Universal. I mean, what? look, uh, this yes. is why this is why this is an audio program. Uh, clearly, uh, right? Exactly. I, I've got a, I've got a perfect outfit for for radio. Yeah, there you like go. The per- <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a face for radio. That's right. There we go. Um, so I see we have uh, we already have an audience member who's come up and wants to ask a question. Uh, I am happy to uh, to do that. Are you ready for some questions? Absolutely, sure. All right, Christopher. Welcome to Timeless Leadership. Thank you, Scott, and and thank you, Kathy. I'm enjoying the conversation so far. Mm-hmm. My question is about uh, I'm a I'm a you know long time ago, but former high school athlete, and there is a long standing tradition in sports of locker room banter of team building through playful insults, taking jabs at each other pointing out the weakest part of somebody's game and having fun with that. And I've seen it work to build teams. At the same time, I'm respecting and appreciating what you're saying about never making somebody else the butt of the joke and never trying to be exclusionary in in how you handle humor. So my question to you, Kathy, is how do you balance the idea that occasional banter like that can work to build relationships and at the same time you never want to be exclusionary with, with what you're doing? Thanks for the microphone, Scott. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that that is such a great question, Christopher, and I appreciate it because there are there are cultures. There are big macro cultures and then there's micro cultures. And you know, even within a company, you've got team culture, which is essentially a micro culture as opposed to the the big larger, you know, 
culture. And so sometimes people have their own operating rules within their team. And, you know, you can think of that locker room as, as that microculture where everybody goes, okay, this is how we operate. Everybody understands it's done out of love. If I suppose, you know, at some point somebody says, hey, that's not cool then people would respect that, right? So I, I think that's that's the issue. I think there are ways of being in the world. When I was in tech, you know, I couldn't control necessarily the big macro, you know, corporate culture, but what I could do is influence how I ran my team. And I made my team know that, look, um, humor and play and levity are welcome here. It's encouraged. Now, if somebody crosses a line, um, it's usually out of love, and we have to also respect that if somebody does accidentally cross a line, and it didn't happen all that often, really. It was very rare. We have to accept that that's how somebody feels, and, you know, let's just make it playful and make sure that we're not, you know, using that kind of humor. And I think there's a difference maybe between a culture that says in that space, Christopher, we all we all accept these rules, versus in a company where you've got so many more different types of people you're there, you know, to to uh, obviously make sure everybody feels included. You're making money. Um, it's it's a for profit. You know, we we have to make sure certain objectives are met. So I think as long as people, I guess it's a short, it's a long way of saying, look, if people in that culture say, okay, we buy into this is how we operate. This is this works for us. I think that's okay. I think where it gets tricky is if somebody then steps up and says. Um, do we allow dissent? Is somebody able to say, hey, you know what, this, this is okay, but this over here might be too much and how that gets dealt with. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, uh, Kathy. And, and I think the smaller the group, the easier it is to have that kind of cohesive culture, you know, to, to, yeah. to set those ground rules. Um, you know, I, I was reminded uh, when, when Christopher uh, remarked about the locker room banter, of mm-hmm. uh, a, an old George, George Carlin routine where he talked about, you know, growing up in the streets of New York and playing well, what they called the dozens, uh, which, which was basically insults that you would hurl back and forth at each other. Um, but their their rule was no mothers, man, no mothers. Right? <laughs> it's it's true. No, it's true. I mean, and I totally get what Christopher's point is, because, look, um, I, I do comedy and I, I teach improv and I do stand up. And, you know, the, the rules that. If I'm with my comedian friends, are the rules different? A hundred percent. And you have your group of friends that so knows you so intimately that can we joke about certain things with each other? Yes, but there's high trust. We're operating from a place of of a very different place in the world and high trust. Yeah. And I admit that those rules are a little bit different than if I were coming into a group, you know, a corporate setting or whatever. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about how, well, first of all, how you got into uh, stand up comedy and improv and secondarily, how you, how the light bulb went off where you said, aha, there are lessons here I can take and apply them to the business world. Take us on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So right after college, I, so I took a, I took an improv class in, in college and I was like, Hmm, this is interesting. It's crazy. It's chaotic. It's nerve wracking. I like it. I think I'll do it again. <laughs> you know, it's like that roller coaster you're scared of. And then you're like, I'm going to go back in line. That was, that was crazy. Um, and I, so after college, um, I, um, Dove right into stand up. Actually, I started in stand up, and I still do stand up. And I got myself uh, this book, and I'm I'm not paid. I'm not paid. I take no money. 
um, uh, the comedy Bible by Judy Carter. And I, I literally just read that thing front to, to back and I went, I think I can do this. And I just started doing open mic nights and pretty soon within about four or five years of doing that, I was doing showcases. I was doing a lot of, you know, um, uh, comedy clubs in LA and, about five years in, somebody said, you would be really good at improv because unlike most comics, you actually like people. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a joke. It, okay, there's, there's an inside joke in the, in the comedy world. Like, like, it's like this total, you know, West Side Story battle, you know, the, the Jets and the Sharks between like comedians and improvisers. Because improvisers work well with others. Most comics are, are actually painfully introverted, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and so I like people and I, then I, I went to, um, started doing improv, um, and went to second city and learned sketch techniques and, um, fell in love with, with improv as an art form. And then I realized along the way, cause I had to pay for this stuff. I was working during the day, but I was doing stand up and, and improv like six, seven nights a week. And this is before I became a parent, right? Nobody yeah. has time once you're a parent. But like, um, I, I went, you know, oh my gosh, the light bulb went on and I realized, oh my God, why is it that we can, as an improv group, we can get stuff done and we can be funny and crazy and insane and everybody backs each other up and we produce magic every night mm. and nobody says, no, that's a bad idea. Everybody just goes, Hey man, t dinosaurs of different species, dinosaurs marrying humans and having a, like a ceremony on a, like a cruise. Yeah. Let's see that. Cause I'd like to see that scene. I want to see that. And nobody, nobody is a skunk at the party that kills the scene. And I thought, why is it we can do this over and over night after night? and make magic and make people happy, but we can't do this back in our teams. What is wrong? Why, why is that? So the light bulb started to go on about how do we get better outcomes? And I started realizing that a lot of the rules of improv to me are the secret sauce to how teams can run better. Um, and I started bringing in a lot of different principles and lo and behold, um, people like having their ideas heard and yes, and versus being told yes, but, um, and being crapped on turns out humans like that. <laughs> um, and it just sort of took some time, but things started sticking in and, you know, over, you know, a number of years, I was in tech 15 years and managing bigger, bigger teams. I think eventually the light bulb went on and I thought, well, if I'm going to do this the way that I'd really like to do it, I'm going to have to leave and take the, the business world and merge it with, with what I learned mm on the comedy stage, but, but yeah, I mean, I, it just really right away, Scott, I could see the big application areas for, for people. Well, you know, what, what you've brought up there, Kathy, is really interesting to me because it actually loops in a couple of our previous episodes. Um, mm -hmm. we, we talk about, uh, we talked about, uh, the heliotropic effect and optimism a couple of episodes ago with, uh, Harry Cohen. To me, that is, is directly, uh, it directly correlates with the yes and uh, notion that, that, that there's no negativity there. It's like, okay, that's really interesting. Now let's see how we can build on that, right? It's encouraging people. The other thing is this notion of trust, how you need to be vulnerable. You need to trust your, your fellow improv, uh, what, do, what do you call it? Improv artists, improvers? Improvisers. Improvisers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that that there you need to be willing to trust each other and to recognize that you each bring something to the table and that gets back to uh, leader humility which is about recognizing the dignity in everyone and 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 humor kind of encapsulates those mm -hmm. well said well said i you know i really love um what you're what you're saying here because i think really 
humor is humility and it's a it's a willingness to admit we don't know everything and we like our leaders to have healthy humility and to know that great ideas come from everywhere and that they don't know everything and that they can't build it alone. Mm. Nothing ever gets built to commercial viability. And I know, Scott, you know this because of your amazing work at Ford, but nothing gets to commercial viability by yourself. It takes a team, which means that team's ideas, those team members have amazing ideas and, you know, they may not all be viable and yet we need to encourage that kind of thinking because once in a while, that team's going to have an amazing idea that otherwise we would never have access to. But for the fact that we made it safe for people to laugh with each other and let their guard down and be vulnerable and go, I got a crazy ass idea. Let's mm-hmm. build on this. And people went, yeah, let's, that, that could work. <laughs> and, and that's the kind of thinking that we all agree that we want. And we don't laugh where we're not safe. And the big thing about teams and yes and is that it's about safety. It's a safety protocol. And you think about teams where there's, there's toxic culture. Nobody feels safe. Nobody laughs. You don't let your guard down and laugh with a team that doesn't have your back. You don't laugh with a leader who makes you feel unsafe. And so to me, laughter and humor and joy and great ideas go hand in hand with a great leader who makes it safe to show up Mm. that is so profound kathy you know you you talked before about better outcomes helping teams run better Mm -hmm. um we're we're talking now about the creation of trust of making people people feel safe and as if they've got room to fail Mm -hmm. so many leaders you know try to bring this across in their culture and are, are always grappling at ways to do it. And it seems to me that what we've got in humor, whether you're talking specifically about the topics of trust or safety or what have you, when you're expressing humor, you are, you are silently expressing that those attributes exist. It seems like a shortcut to getting some of those results. Absolutely. It really is. I mean, the humor brain... It's interesting. More and more research on brain science is showing that when people are improvising and creative and laughing, more of the gray matter in their brain lights up. If you if you look at the the work of uh, Charles Lim, Dr. Charles Lim, he 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 put you know improvisers and jazz musicians through these MRI machines, and you know he looked at their brain, and and it's really fascinating. And there is there's a there's a physiological response to to being creative and and being having that trust and feeling so safe that we can just riff and play and there is no judgment of the ideas. Look, not all ideas are going to be great, but knowing that I can play in this space and when we realize that we are we it is a shorthand. I think humor is the creates the conditions for people to be their best. And when leaders create those safe spaces, that is the shorthand way to get to all the human capital that we say we so badly want. I mean, leaders are constantly saying, we, we want more. We want people to bring their wholesales to work. It's like, okay, we'll prove it. Right. <laughs> prove it. Right. Prove it. You know, uh, as opposed to me in my younger tech days where it was like, Kathy brought her wholesale to work. And they were like, yeah, Kathy, you can bring a little less of your wholesale to work. <laughs> it's like, half of hey, yourself. I'm a package yeah. deal. Yeah. You, get, you get all of it. 
And so I, th- I think that that is exactly right. It's that shorthand way of, of making it safe for people to show up with all that, all that juicy goodness and their, their creativity that we, we keep saying as leaders we want. Mm. Well, we're talking with Kathy Clote's guest, who is an expert on improv and comedy in the workplace. You can find her at keepingithuman.com. If you have any questions or comments uh, for Kathy, feel free to uh, request the microphone on the stage. We'd be happy to have you up here uh, to participate in the conversation. Uh, Kathy, you, um, I I think you, you, you do such a good job of you know, making it natural or making it seem natural for leaders and others to be able to integrate comedy into the workplace. So how, how would they go about that? How would a leader who's interested in um, integrating more humor in their management style or in their teams, how would they go about starting something like that? Yeah, it's a great question because I think it goes back to, I think, first of all, something you started the show with, which is let's look at what humor is. And let's look, let's break that down because I think too often many of us equate less serious with less professional. And I want to blow that garbage up. Let's blow that up because what it does is it keeps us from trying and being our best. Humor is not jokes. Humor is not comedy. Humor, every, everybody has their own, I think, innate way of showing up and being playful what is playful for you might be different for somebody else. But the beauty about looking at this differently through that lens is that I think we all have a way to show up and have levity and be playful. So I think the way to do it is to start with what's organic for you. It cannot be fake. You don't try to be something you're not. If you're not a joke teller, don't do it. Um, Maybe you're a storyteller. Maybe you're great at wordplay. Make people feel safe by just bringing your organic sort of communication humor style to work for you. Cause then people go, that's authentic. Um, I'd say make it a point to create a safe space where people can show up and be playful. Um, integrate it into your meetings. I mean, I understand people are pressured for time, but one of the things I think that we get wrong as leaders is just the facts, just business and people in remote environments, look, people are hurting. You know, th- these are tough times. We know that people feel isolated. People sometimes don't feel seen. Safety, psychological safety is an issue today. And we know that just a few minutes of connecting on a human level in your meetings um, at the beginning of that meeting can set a tone for everybody to go, okay, breathe. We can breathe here. This is a safe space. So little things, you can do little connected exercises and improv exercises. It can be short. You don't have to, you know, spend 10 minutes, but just five minutes of just laughing at the beginning of a meeting sets the tone that, hey, we're serious about this. Playfulness is welcome. And let's kind of know that it's a safe space to lighten up and to to bring some of that magic to the table. Oh, that's great. I mean, simple but profound, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you were saying wordplay, uh, as, as a style of humor, I, I love wordplay, um, mm-hmm. and I, I get booed out of the room for puns uh, far too often, but it's okay. It's a, it's a dad joke kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Dad, dads and bad puns kind of go together and I'm okay with that. Um, but it got me to thinking about the root of the word humor, because even though it's not, um, linked in, in the origins of our language to words like 
humility or mm-hmm. human, uh, there's, there's a common thread kind of running through these. Now, human comes from the Latin word uh, humus, H-U-M-U-S, which means earth or ground. And that's what we all have in common. We are all linked together. And, you know, if you believe in the, the biblical story, Adam and Eve created, uh, well, Adam created from the, the earth, right? So we, we are fundamentally connected to where we live. Um, humility, uh, I think, comes from the Latin word humilis, which that's exactly what it meant. Humility uh, and um, humilitas, sorry, it was humilitas, um, mm. and, and the state of being humble. And, and we all, again, as humans, have that humility in common, that dignity that we talked about a few episodes ago. And then humor, coming from the word humere, which means uh, moisture. I know moist isn't a word that a lot of people really adhere to. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's a funny word. Um, it but it, back in, in the days before we really understood uh, physiology the way we do, the bodily humors, the fluids that we had in our bodies were all thought to interreact and and when you had a, a whim, a whimsical kind of humor, it was really those things that made you well, made your body better. And, you know, this is the reason that they employed leeches and bled people and did things like that in the, in the old days. But it was really linked to your physical self. And that, that leads me to believe that laughter is the best medicine. There is some kind of physical response that we get from it. And that is, is linked to all of us fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, laughter is universal and it is so linked to um, oxytocin and serotonin. Mm. And there's a physiological response. The, the thing about humor, and again, I have a bigger definition in the world because I, I believe, you know, humor is accessible to all humans and it, it is playfulness. And I think I think, you know, my modalities tend to be improv and stand up because that's just what I love. But, you know, anything can be playful. But the way it changes our chemistry, um, one of the things that's really fascinating is um, it, when we look at like playfulness, for example, um, it lowers our resistance to learning. And in fact, studies show that you can learn more quickly when the way that you absorb content for anything is done with playful exercises. And it's because it lowers our resistance. It lowers our stress shield and allows messages to get through, which is why humor is such also a, 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 such a great communication device if you're great at it, because it lowers that defense shield that we have all day long up because we're the onslaught of messages. I mean, we get something like, you know, I don't know, 10, 20,000 messages a day as a human. And sometimes in my, my LinkedIn spam alone, it feels like a hundred thousand a day. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, give me a break. I mean, there's, it's ridiculous, but I think we have our shield up, but mm. humor is what we call a pattern disruption device. And what it does is that after a while, our brains acclimate and they go, all right, you know, we're listening to something and pretty soon we flatline. Our attention span flatlines. Then all of a sudden I might crack a joke or I might say something funny. And then there's bleep, there's a little EKG. Oh my gosh, the brains, I didn't see that coming. They're surprised. And all of a sudden we've reactivated the attention span. So there is something connected, human we engage, we lean in a little bit more, it lowers our defenses. There is an absolute physiological response hmm. that we have with humor. And it, that means we lean in, we feel safer. 
there's an acknowledgement that, yeah, I know you're listening and you don't come here to be bored and I'm not going to spam you. I think that holds a space for our messages to get through. Yeah. Well, when you said playful exercises, it immediately uh-huh. brought to mind um, icebreakers. And typically the, the icebreakers, we all, we all have to endure in HR sessions. <laughs> And and invariably in one of those, you look around the room and there'll be people rolling their eyes at it, which to me speaks of a certain kind of resistance. And I don't know if it's resistance because it feels like it's being forced or if it's because people are naturally um, unwilling to to be playful. How, How do you address a situation like that? Yeah, I always joke uh, that uh, HR puts the FU in fun. Uh, (laughs) It's like. Uh, it's like, are you serious? I mean, look, we've all been there. I mean, I came out of tech, the corporate mandated, okay, now we're going to have fun by MBO, everybody, right? It's like, no. <laughs> I mean, nothing says party like HR. Sorry, HR people, but they know this. They, they, And, you know, there's some great ones out there. But you're right. I think it's because it's forced. And I think the thing about, like, an activity or an icebreaker is that it's got to be really organic. I think, I think, you know, teams decide for themselves. Again, they have their microculture about the way that they operate. They have their own de facto operating system and how things get done. And, you know, holding, you know, exercise at the end of the day when people are like, I just want to be off Zoom so I can be with my kids right now. You know, you have to understand what is organic for them. And so I think you're 100% right. So icebreakers shouldn't be forced or weird or seem out of the ordinary. It can be as simple as, all right, you know, let's go around the room. What is something that you laughed at today? What is something that, that, you know, that happened today that's, that's fun? What's different today? It can be as organic as that Mm. and simple. It can be as, as, you know, if it's an icebreaker that you're just, you know, you know yourself well and you, everybody, the team knows, uh, each other very well, you have more wiggle room. But if you're still a team that's still not, you know, doesn't know each other well, you can try these icebreakers, but don't make a big deal out of them. Mm -hmm. Make play optional. One of the other things I think that people resent is forced play. Um, Play should be optional because one of the things that people have to remember, leaders have to remember, is that play can be scary to people. Mm -hmm. Play can trigger our fears. Um, you know, who, who among us hasn't had that like terrible story going back to childhood where maybe they got picked last for a team or like they got beaten up or they were the smallest on their team, or maybe they were told that they were playing wrong or play can create some actual fear. So one of the things that, yes, even in adults, right? So one of the things that a leader recognizes, is, hey, man, I'm not going to tell you how to play. We're just going to have some fun here. Everybody can jump in. If you, if this isn't for you, you can opt out. And it makes it much safer, I think, for people to show up and really play in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've Kathy, I've spoken to groups of thousands of people on the stage, and yet I was no more terrified than when I was in one of these HR meetings and I had to identify what my color crayon would be. Right. It's like, really? I, you right. know, I, there's got to be better yeah. ways to, to do an icebreaker. There is there's a lot better way. Show up and play. Do a story. Create a story. At, at a, you know, you go around the room and like, let's just kind of build a story. Let's If we were going to re- rewrite a story of our team, what's our, what's our team story? What do you think it is? Yeah. And have everybody maybe contribute a line of what they think that story is. 
and it's organic. It's purposeful. You're not play, you're not like, Hey, everybody, let's, you know, get up and act out a skit, <laughs> which is a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. So organic, low key, um, things that, that make people feel safe and feel purposeful. And there's really no wrong way to play. It's finding what vibes for your team. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, it uh, looks like we have another uh, question here, and it is no no other than Tom Morris, stand-up philosopher from the last episode. Tom, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot, Scott. And, uh, Scott and Kathy, what a great conversation uh, to be having. And 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 Scott, you you wily character to have a guest named guest on a, a podcast on humor. You kind of you kind of open the door for us right away. Kathy, uh, I've got a comment and a question. This is just good stuff. Um, I'm a philosopher, and we're not known for our hilarity, but uh, some of the most um, impactful philosophers in history like Socrates and Kierkegaard have been actually really funny people. I used to tell my graduate students at Notre Dame, um, philosophy is a serious business, but that doesn't mean it has to be somber. We can be playful. We can have fun. I did a talk yesterday for a business school, a major business school. It was a global audience, and it was on how to deal with difficulty in our lives. And the two comments I kept getting in the chat and afterwards were first a comment I've never laughed so much in an hour in my life. And the second comment was, this was a life-changing hour. And I think those two things were really closely related. And most people don't understand this at all. I once did an analysis of my most popular talk. I'm a public philosopher. I speak to business groups. And there was one talk I was 80% of new invitations were for this one particular talk. And I had another talk that I thought was equally good. And it was getting just a fraction of the uh, invitations and repeat business from the first talk. And so I analyzed what's different between these two talks. They're both full of great ideas. I realized the popular talk had four times as much humor in it as the uh, less popular talk. So I beefed up the humor in the second talk, and it it equalized the the whole situation. Even yesterday, with my talk for this business um, school, I realized the talk I was going to give had humor in it, but didn't start for the until ten minutes in. So I said, I've got to create some stuff right at the start, and self-deprecating humor. People who are like, don't want corny jokes, don't want Scott's puns or mine, don't want to think, oh, this guy's trying to entertain us here. Uh, People who are kind of cynical about humor, still they love self-deprecating humor. A speaker making fun of himself. That puts everybody in a good mood. So my question, Kathy, for you is this, why do you think more people don't understand this? At this point, it should be obvious to us all, this is the way to do things. Okay, so a lot of great things there. My gosh, I, I'm so with you. And we all know that comedians are uh, philosophers. So amen, brother. Uh, they are, um, as the great philosopher George Carlin once said, I believe. <laughs> That's right. Um, they are. They are. Because at the, at the heart of, you're right, because I think people forget that humor is truth. 
It's truth yeah. exaggerated. It's the truth on steroids. That is why we relate to humor because, I mean, you think about who are the truth tellers in society. And I consider myself a truth teller. I am. And everybody who knows me knows I don't put up with bullshit. Um, and, but that is my training. I think what makes comedians especially prolific and why humor matters is we are willing to have a lighthearted moment of truth. And it doesn't have to be like an intense truth. Sometimes it's just a lighthearted human truth, but we are so hungry to, to puncture that bubble of BS. Uh, we want that. We're hungry. So you're right. And I think humor can be just a lighthearted story and get people up front. I think it's scary for people because people put a lot of pressure on it. They think they have to be joke tellers. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be. You know, you can do something up front right away. Um, I, I have very mixed feelings uh, about self-deprecation. Um, so self-deprecation works great in some instances, but there is research that shows for women it has a penalty. Oh. And in my experience, this is true. So if you're going to use self-deprecation, don't make it about your business acumen. You know, uh, if you put on two different color socks in the morning because it was dark, yeah, make fun of that. But that has nothing to do with my business acumen. So if you're going to do self-deprecation, uh, in my experience, uh, do it lightly. Do it in the right way. Uh, do not put your, your own business um, acuity and acumen as the butt of the joke. Um, so that, that is my caveat, but yeah, generally speaking, if you want to like, you make a, an observation about what you look like or, you know, everyone's thinking it sometimes the easiest observation to make is to sort of point out the elephant in the room. Um, you know, I showed up to a talk in sweats once cause my bag didn't get there. My bag got lost on the airline. So I showed up in sweatpants and I just like, everyone was looking at me and my sweatpants. So, um, you know, I had to make a comment about it and then everybody laughed because now I'm calling out the elephant in the room and we can all get on to the, the bigger issue. So I'm a hundred percent agreeing with you, Tom. Um, humans need to get this and however you do it, um, there's no one way to have that humor, but I think humor up front grabs your audience and says, Hey, I get you. This is going to be real. I'm not going to bore you. And I get you. You know, that's really good, Kathy. I mean, uh, I'll stop in a second, but uh, I just wanted to say you kind of keyed off in my mind something I heard two days ago. I heard somebody say most humor is about truth and yes. surprise, truth yes. and surprise. You know, yes. to Socrates told the truth and they brought him a surprising drink, you know, truth right. and surprise, <laughs> that combination. And, you know, a lot of the talks I've given around the world, um, I've done about 1200 talks at this point in my life. And I'll often just pay attention to my surroundings on the trip there, you know, on the trip across the country or wherever. And I can joke about my travel to get there. I can joke about something I've seen in the hotel just on my way to the, the, the convention center. Uh, just to, to ease the, 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 the tension in, in the room, especially when they hear they're going to be listening to a philosopher for an hour. You know, it's a good thing to, to make a joke. And you're so right about self-deprecating humor. It has to be done well. It's kind of yeah. like brain, brain surgery. You got to do it well. Don't be sloppy yeah, yeah. about it. Right. That's and right. so, yeah, it, it, I just wish, I, I hope more and more people listen to you and your advice about the multiple powers uh, and, and positive effects of humor in the workplace. I, I think about my first reading of the Harry Potter stories. Harry Potter's first book, written by a classics major like Scott, um, 
It starts with a difficult situation, and Albus Dumbledore makes a joke, and it relieves all the tension in that situation. And I thought from there, I ended up writing a book called If Harry Potter Ran General Electric, and I've got a chapter, Albus Dumbledore, CEO, precisely inspired by the way he was able to use humor to disarm people, to relax people, to take the tension out of the room so that creativity could begin to to feel Mm. playful. Right. Right. That's so great. Great stuff. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. The the wise Tom Morris, ladies Mm -hmm. and gentlemen. What a what a great comment and um and great point. And and I I I really like the notion of self deprecation and and your uh uh advisory there, Kathy, about it I think was extremely important. Uh you know, when we are taking digs at our own acumen, especially when we may be part of a group that is already sidelined in some ways. Um we have to be very careful about that. Indeed. uh, I I I'm gonna make a reference here that only three percent of my audience will understand. Um back in the nineteen forties and fifties, Jack Benny was a giant in entertainment, television and radio in particular. And his entire shtick was self-deprecating. He, he was supposedly uh, a cheapskate. He was supposedly someone who <laughs> didn't know much about anything, right? And, and look, his name was on the program, so he didn't need to lord over everyone with his humor. He was comfortable being the butt of the joke. And that was the whole thing. Everyone was in on it. And yeah. The biggest laugh that he said he ever got on the radio is they were interviewing this opera star and she was going on for about five minutes uh, talking about her craft. And suddenly there was an opening in the conversation and Jack said, well, I think. And Mary said, oh, shut up. And that that was it. And he was happy to be to to serve in that way to to further the the storyline. There is. And there's a difference, too. I'm glad you brought that up because I, lo- I love that story. Um, I think there's also a difference we have to recognize if we're using humor in a business setting or workplace versus, you know, on a comedy stage. I mean, I'll say what I want on a comedy stage. There are no rules. Um, but I think there is a different sensibility about that in a in a business setting. Yeah. 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 Well, we've got Gary who wants to uh, make hey, a Gary. comment here. Gary, welcome. Hey, guys. Uh, what a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Um, I think, you know, humor, whether it's self-deprecating or not, the best humor people relate to, and it's personal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think self-deprecating, which is not meaningful to somebody, is not really funny. Yeah. So, you know, I think obviously you've got to know your audience. Um, but I think using humor in infotainment or edutainment as you want makes learning so much easier. And I, I think not just learning, but creativity. I think a good laugh gets your serotonin and dopamine cooking and it, it absolutely lowers your, your cortisol. So you're going to be in a much better place to do stuff. And I think, you know, great humor in a work environment sort of connects people. And, you know, as long as, the joke's meaningful to everyone because there's nothing worse than not being in on the joke. That's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why affiliative connected humor is really important because yeah, you, if you, you have a, your friends that you have inside jokes with, but that's not the place if you're a leader and you're running a whole team is that everybody has to belong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a very fine line. Yeah. I mean, 
because you can offend somebody so easily and they shut down immediately. So it's a really bad thing if, you know, and it's such a fine line because in a way humor is truth unfiltered. It, it is, but, it, but I think too, you're, as we said before, it, it absolutely is. Uh, it's also, I think, recognizing a bigger definition of humor. And that's why I sort of define it differently. I mean, look, I, I do stand up, I do improv. I know not everybody's wired like me. Mm-hmm. And yet some of the greatest, uh, you know, sort of leaders I know have a sense of humor that is playful and it's more expansive. And so it's not just telling jokes. And well, I like it. It's situational, right? Yeah. It, right, right, right. And I love that definition because I think it expands the opportunities. There's more, you know, if all we ever did was use humor as synonymous with jokes, people go, I'm, it's not for me. I'm too afraid. And I want people to not be afraid. I think, I think humor is more expansive than that. And, and I think when you start to think of humor as being bigger that way, there's more opportunities to, to have great humor. I think. I, I kind of like, not just using the word humor, but humorous. Yes, yes. Because yes. I think, you know, in a work environment, situations happen that are humorous as opposed to mm-hmm. let me pull out a joke and try and create some humor and levity in the situation. I agree. Um, yeah. That's okay. Great. I just wanted to add because I thought it was a great conversation and I had a little Thanks, to Gary. Add. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Keep Gary. Keep going. I'm enjoying this. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Now, you know, one thing Gary brought up there was, you know, again, back to what we talked about earlier in the show about making a joke at someone else's expense. Um, And if if they are not in on that, right, if they're not part of the inside circle, if they're not ready for it, if this isn't part of the already expressed culture of of how you conduct yourselves, um, then what happens right then is you've basically broken their trust. Yes. Right. And 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 you said earlier that uh, that that humor is really really linked to trust and and that mm-hmm. that safe area that we're giving people. Um, right. If someone happens to create a faux pas like that uh, unintentionally, let's say you know let, let let's say there was no ill intent, they just let it slip, and someone uh, was affected by uh, how they said something. What's what's a way that they can recover from that and begin to build some of that trust back? Yeah. Okay. Here it is. It's a it's a magic formula. It's called an apology. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of y'all all aren't used to it, but it's okay. You know, here's the thing about it is that when we create enough space for we get it right most of the time, and we really are playful, and we create a safe space. I think the beautiful thing about that, Scott, is that it builds goodwill. So that when we do screw up occasionally, because we're all human, it gives us grace to say, yeah, you're right. Sorry, you're right. Well, well, point well taken. And uh, you're right. And, uh, you know, and I think it's okay. And I think when you create that more trusted space, you are going to get the benefit of of benefit of doubt for you and towards other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that is so simple and so profound because i think we have in the last few years witnessed very publicly in many many situations where someone does something or is called out on something that they've done and rather than apologize rather than to take the humble approach they double down on offensiveness and then accuse 
the victim and, and, and they, they, they make themselves the victim. Well, how dare you? Uh, call me out. And to me, it, it only makes it more toxic in that situation rather than something that just kind of de-escalates the situation. Absolutely. If you double down on it and you say, well, you just can't take a joke or whatever, right. then then the wor- that is the worst thing you can do because now um, good luck getting trust back with not only that person, but you have actually then communicated to the entire team that you are not safe to disagree with that dissent is yeah. dead. Yeah. And the best thing you can do is just go, Hey, you know what? They're not all gems. You know, I, you know, <laughs> I was like, all right, you know, that one was that. Okay. That was a turd, you know, with perfume on it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. And just laugh at it and go, I'm human. I'm working out. This is my material. I come to these meetings. I treat these meetings like an open mic. Sorry, my bad. And you can have some fun and just kind of poke fun at just the fact that, you know, you know, we're all human and, and drop one once in a while and everybody will laugh and agree. Cause who hasn't done that? Yeah. Because yeah. the worst thing you can do is cling to a notion of of doubling down on it, right. especially in a team trust situation. Yeah. 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 And if if you have to tell someone it's a joke, it probably Ooh. isn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. If, the, if I have to explain the joke, it's dead. If yeah. I have to double down on the joke, it's dead. Yeah. If I get defensive, it's dead. None of those are good things. <laughs> and I think if you really want to engender trust and respect – when you do get it wrong, just owning it, and people are like, "Cool, I trust that person now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it, it'll lead into another topic that we'll discuss uh, on this show in the future, and that is vulnerability. Mm. You know why it's okay to let your guard down, and vulnerability is actually not a weakness; it's a strength. Right. So, and and um, and making bad jokes and admitting to them are, <laughs> are my that's my superpower, Kathy. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know what? People love people that are imperfect and willing to own it. We love it. We love it. I mean, you know, you've probably seen those studies where all in all, a speaker that maybe makes a few mistakes, but is generally very likable, gets high ratings because there's something human mm, about that. Right. We know it's safe. We know it's safe to stumble and somebody will have our backs. And what says that than a leader, more than a leader that's willing to admit a mistake? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's great. And because we know they'll allow mistakes in us as well. Absolutely. It's a hundred percent you have just proven that it is a safe space to to recover, to be playful. If you make a mistake, you you own it, you apologize, you don't blame, you own it. And that is the best kind of environment. Fantastic. Well, Kathy Clotes guest, keynote speaker, author, storytelling and creative strategist, improv comedian. Is there anything you don't do? Oh yeah, lots of things. Like I haven't cooked in a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Yes, no. I have a husband who loves to cook, and Excellent. I'm lucky, and so it works out. But uh, thank you so much there for this go. wonderful, amazing conversation, Scott. I love chatting with you. Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about Kathy, just go to keepingithuman.com. There you will find her newsletter, her blog, uh, her services with regard to comedy, humor. Uh, coaching, etc., and her book, Stop Boring Me, How to Create Kick Marketing Content Products and Ideas Through the Power of Improv. Kathy, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you, Scott. Thanks, everybody. Humor is at the heart of humanity, and it's something each of us can bring to our peers. When we allow ourselves to enjoy each other and the journey, we give each other a gift. 
a gift that lifts the spirits of everyone around us. Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, for you are a leader.